0: This is contacttalkradio.com, consciousness in action, and you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio and on TuneIn.com, Bing.fm, and UpSnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Here's Lisa, living fearlessly with Lisa McDonald.
1: Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries. 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads once again we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest so who is my guest of this Friday well I can tell you that Philip Stutz is fighting a rare incurable disease diagnosed in 2012 with the esophageal disease, achalasia, he spent five years ignoring it. Frankly, he put his head in the sand, taking medications that did more harm than good and awaiting for the inevitable. Then he woke up and said no more. His mission today is to find a cure and pursue a life of constant growth and giving, and he's making progress. Philip is also the best-selling author of Fire Them Now, the Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell, and one of the masterminds behind the curtain of political marketing. With more than 20 years of political and marketing experience, Stutz has worked with multiple Fortune 200 companies, has over two decades of experience working on campaigns with billions of dollars in political ad spend, and contributed to over 1,200 election victories, including hundreds of US House campaigns, dozens of U.S. Senate campaigns, and even three U.S. presidential victories. Philip is the founder and executive chairman of Go Big Media, a political media firm, and the founder and CEO of Win Big Media, a corporate marketing agency. Together, these companies have have won more than 41 national awards for marketing and creative content. In addition to being represented by Gary Vaynerchuk's FAYE speakers and a keynote speaker for one of the country's largest privately held speakers bureaus, Kepler speakers, Philip has made more than 260 national media appearances, including CBS, ESPN, Fox News, Fox Business, MSNBC and CNN. He has also appeared on some of the world's most popular podcasts, including Gary Vaynerchuk's The Daily V, The James Altucher Show, The Adam Carolla Show. The Dr. Drew Podcast, Jay Abrams, The Ultimate Entrepreneur, Big Questions with Cal Fussman and the Dr. Gundry Podcast. He has been launched as a marketing genius by Fox Business, the political guru by ESPN and the Michael Jordan of political marketing by Mike Dillard. Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you today?
2: Good Lord, take a breath, Lisa. Thank you for
1: doing that. I appreciate it. Well, that's a testament to you, your repertoire, your your staunch mindset for, you know, endeavoring to embark upon all these uh, important initiatives. So pat on the back. Kudos to you, my friend. You've earned it.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. Let's jump into it.
1: Let's jump into it. So, you know, I'm always interested with the inception of the backstory and, you know, maybe the best place to start right now would be, how is your health currently? How are you doing physically?
2: Yeah, I'm stable. I, um, you know, I was diagnosed in 2012 with, with, as you introduced me, rare esophageal disease. And, uh, you know, basically it affects one out of 100,000 people. Most of those people are in their 70s and 80s. I was in my 30s when I was diagnosed. The, the Basically, my esophagus doesn't work. So it, when you eat, you have muscles that uh, contract and push food down into your stomach. Uh, mine are dead, and they'll never work again the rest of my life. And um, I've had 15 minor procedures on my esophagus. I've had three uh, major surgeries on it. They basically… In the three major surgeries, they've shredded my esophagus. It looks like an upside-down cheerleader's pom-pom just so food will drop into my stomach. Uh, Eating is a very hard chore for me, Um, and there is no cure. And, you know, the the prognosis, this is hilarious because I think for business owners out there, or maybe everybody, they've kind of gone through this, Lisa, which Mm is for five years with my health, Deteriorating with an incurable disease, I did not with an with being diagnosed with an incurable disease, with having all these surgeries, I did not Google my disease. Good for you. No, bad. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I, I mean, I, I literally put my head in the sand. I was so scared. And after my last major surgery, I went I was at the Mayo Clinic, which in the United States is probably the number one hospital in, in America. And they basically said, Philip, I you know, I looked at the doctor and I said, Look, I know this is incurable, but like long term how you know, what, what should I expect? And he kind of looked at me curious because, you know, he would have thought I'd googled mm-hmm. the disease by then. And he said, Philip, there is no cure and within the next few years we're gonna remove your esophagus. And you'll be in a feeding tube the rest of your life from your 40s on for the rest of your life. You'll, you know, and and I remember dropping my jaw to the ground and saying, "What?" And he said, "Yeah." And he said, "Look, just you just need to continue to take the medications I gave you." By the way, those medications have heart and dementia, you know, heart attack and dementia long term effects, uh, but they work in the short run. And he said, "Continue to take the meds. See you in six months." And he patted me on the back. And I said. Ooh, 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 ooh. I, I don't know if I accept that and he laughed at me I mean mm-hmm. not in a like in a you just don't get it way you know
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> and said yeah okay all right well that's what it is you know and I and I remember driving home from the Mayo Clinic and saying I, I don't accept this good for you and here's the deal when the pain becomes too big, we make change typically.
1: Mm-hmm. And at
2: that moment in my life, the pain became so great that I said I had to make a change. And I always say, like, I beg people not to get to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Let so, me- I, yeah, and so on a two front process, I I had to get my diet in order. Um, I was eating foods that had caused an autoimmune disease that had attacked my esophagus, and I had to figure that out and get on a healthier diet. Within six months, of figuring out the diet, I, from, from that point on over the last two and a half years, I take no prescription medication, the kinds that give me, that could give me dementia, no prescription medication in my life right now and I have an incurable disease because I got my diet in order. And then I decided I got to find a cure to this disease. And so I, this long trek, uh, I wrote an article in ink about it. I was going to take a moonshot and try to find the cure to this disease. Uh, it got the article got picked up. Researchers found me. They contacted me. We put a team around me. For the last three years, we've been working uh, to get FDA approval. Recently, we just got FDA approval. We got approval from Johns Hopkins University. Wow! And ab- six weeks ago, I started the first ever one-man clinical trial. Uh, They actually took uh, skeletal stem cells out of my thigh muscle. They are in the process of growing them, culturing them. And in about six months, I will go back to Johns Hopkins. They will insert them into my esophagus to hope to regenerate the muscles and nerves that are dead and try to get it working again. This has never happened with animals. Um, I I, I laughingly told the doctor that, oh, I I guess I'm the guinea pig. And he said, please don't say that. But yes, (laughs) the guinea pig. And... And uh, we have no idea if it'll work, and we don't have any idea if it won't work. Um, but I'm going to go for it because I guess I'm an ignorant entrepreneur and that's yeah. just how <laughs> I do things. But the point ultimately is in your life, what is your biggest pain point right now? And for me, it was my God, I'm going to face a feeding tube the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And forever, I had been taking the aspirin when really I should have been taking the vitamin. And if I had just taken the vitamin, <laughs> metaphorically, uh, if I had just been taking the vitamin in my life before then, this never, this disease probably never would have even happened.
1: Wow. Well, let me just, uh, turn back the dial for a moment. So when you were prefacing Google and the fact that you had not done a search and my response to that was good for you, I say that there's always two schools of thought with every notion, every concept, every belief. And so, you know, obviously it, uh, it didn't pay off in your case, although you're making strides now and you've really become a staunch advocate. So kudos to you for that. But there are people who, even if they've just got a sniffle, they Google things oh, yeah, and all right. and all of a sudden they've got themselves <laughs> convinced that they've got cancer and they're dying in six months. So, and what that does to the mindset is really counterintuitive. So I, I want to focus on that because for, for what, the, for the diagnosis that you've received, for the when anybody hears the word incurable, that can take you down the rabbit hole very quickly, and and that could be a place where one never recovers and resurrects, and 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 comes out of so there's two schools of thought with people there are the people who subscribe to victimology and then like yourself philip there are the people who take massive action resign themselves to the fact that no this is not how i'm going out i'm not going to surrender myself uh you know disempowered i'm going to take massive action and i'm going to do what is within my realm of resourcing uh you know tapping into the right people, um, and, and taking responsibility for my livelihood and for my health. So that's what I meant by Google. And I just want to say for the ways in which you have, uh, and what you're doing right now, obviously stands to help thousands, millions. I mean, I don't know what the stats are and on how many people are are afflicted by this. Um, but regardless of the numbers, I mean, what you're doing, even just getting it to this point is phenomenal. So good on you.
2: Thank you, and I appreciate it. You're 100% right. Let me just say this. I was one of those uh, victims for the first few years of this disease. I blamed other people. I treated people horribly. I was a terrible leader in my company. I was not a very good husband or father. Um, All of these things happened. The Mm -hmm. disease is the best thing that ever happened to me because when I woke up and when I decided to do something – Mm-hmm. And when the pain became too big, and I couldn't take the pain anymore, I had to change. Mm-hmm. But what that that and a lot of uh, mentors in the growth space. Uh, help me understand that there is a finite amount of time in my life and I can either spend it treating people poorly. um, I can do it being self-serving. I can, you know, I was the, I would tell you at least I was the worst kind of narcissist. I was the one that didn't think I was great. (laughs) I'm the one that blamed everybody for everything of why I didn't get what I wanted. Mm -hmm. The worst person. And uh, because of the disease, I had to change everything about myself, my psychology, mm-hmm. my relationships. Um, and if it wasn't the, so the, I'm grateful for the disease. If you had me go back to 2012 and say, you don't, you don't have to have this, I would take it. And that's mm-hmm. not, uh, you know, I want you to feel good out there and, you know, I'm trying to, uh, beat my chest. It's not at all. It's the best thing that ever happened to me.
1: Well, I love and appreciate that you said that. I mean, I I really want to impress upon this for the benefit of the listening audience because not unlike yourself, Philip, oftentimes the guests who show up on this program, uh, and even for my own backstory, I very much wholeheartedly subscribe to that whole ideology, you know, because when we talk about purpose, I think it's a misnomer when people associate purpose with passion. I think purpose is birthed out of desperation and being in the shits. And so when you when you have a compulsion based on necessity and when we're talking about health specifically that's a primal need you know survival is a primal need and so the shift that can occur. And again, it's a choice, right? Because again, you can subscribe to victimology, or you can take massive action and, and empower yourself <coughs> to do something going forward. Um, so I think it's important that people understand that just because you, you are met with a diagnosis, or a bankruptcy, or a divorce, or your business is tanking, whatever the case may be, that does not have to be the final finale that does not have to be how you go out no oftentimes when people find themselves in the abyss that's when they get massive massive um in like reinvigoration to go okay no we got to play with this. we got to figure this out and we've got to go forward full throttle. This is non-negotiable. So I appreciate that you said that because there's a lot of people who are tuning into this program who, for whatever circumstance they currently sit in, they're more inclined to be negative, pessimistic, dismal, jaded, bitter, resentful, and they've resigned themselves to any recourse. So thank you for saying that.
2: Sure. I appreciate the platform to say it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, when we talk about your diagnosis in 2012, Philip, um, and you, you've gone on record here as saying that that was, you know, it was a blessing in disguise, more or less. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But when you look at your repertoire of success and accolades and whatnot what has re-honed or redefined the mindset in terms of priority-based? Like, you know, what what is really important to you now that perhaps you took for granted before? Or in terms of direction, in terms of goal-setting, intentions, manifesting, visualization, all of that.
2: Yeah, I, I think uh, there was a book I read um, by Ned Hallowell called Driven to Distraction. And the, in the book, um, he talks about trying to understand how every brain is different and to try to utilize your brain in the finite amount of time you have in your daily, you know, routine. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, first of all, I had to reorganize when my brain was powerful and when it was declining, right? So, Mm -hmm. in the morning, I'm very, I realized I'm very analytical and what I had never done was study, right. Um, read, you know, try to to get knowledge early in the morning, because that's when my brain is on fire. And when my in the early afternoon after lunch, I literally want to sleep for four hours. And that's a good time for me to do meetings and phone calls and things like that, because that reengages my brain. And Mm so one, I had to figure out, how I worked internally and two, um, I, my, my strength and my, my detriment is that I'm very focused. So I, I literally am single-minded. I can, you know, I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone. I, I will (laughs) not stop until I reach whatever I am I reaching. The detriment to that is, uh, when I'm so focused on growing a business, which, you know, I have one of my marketing companies grew from zero to 28 million in less than five years. I'm pretty focused, but what that did was the detriment of my own family uh, because I'd come home and I'd still be working, right? And mm-hmm. so what I've had to learn is how do I – I'm not easy to turn the switch off, but I have to turn the switch off, and I have to give – each you know part of my life the kind of presence that is needed to grow relationships and really relationships are the most important thing ever and i think ultimately i created my company on two values nothing else i don't have mission statements lisa on my wall mm-hmm. I don't. i don't that no one can remember it's not like that at all it, in order to work for us it's two things it's simple it's give and grow you got to give more than you take and you got to always be growing and so
1: Bingo. I really
2: I created those two values because I was not achieving those values and I wanted to be that when I created Mm -hmm. my company. It was what I wanted to be, not what I was or some fake thing that I was trying to make people do so I could manipulate them. Mm -hmm. I literally say – I was not a giver and I was not growing. So I was like, God, I've got to do those two things. So that's what we based our entire culture of the company on. Uh, and everything we do is about giving more than we take. And we, you know, everybody that works in the company has to have a growth plan. They have to grow out of their job. They have to get smarter at things. They have to be more fulfilled and all that stuff. So for me, it was just setting that intention five years ago that I needed to give and grow. Like, those are the things that were missing in my life and when you have two th- easy things and you go that's it it's just two words give grow mm-hmm. and you and you set an intention on that five years later man it's it's amazing the kind of progress you can make and I'm not per I mean I'm still working on this every day of not, course. not perfect at all but it is what I am striving to be every single day.
1: Beautiful beautiful well said okay. so In terms of, you know, because obviously for you to be in the zone with yourself, whatever it is you're setting intentions on, whatever you've redefined as your focus uh, for concentration, for expending your energy, uh, tapping into, you know, what is it that you have simultaneously relinquished at the same time that you've been receptive to embracing? Because I think once we get rid of the things that no longer serve us, call it false beliefs, false concepts, uh, the wrong people, you know, people who are not vibing with you, people who don't see for you what you see for yourself necessarily, by relinquishing all of that, you create an open space to let in the good things that you're meant to be in to in total alignment with so what have you what what's shifted for you outside of understanding the giving and the growing but in addition to that what else has surprised you that you've just gotten laser focus on within yourself
2: yeah it's such a good question um and i'm going to give you an easy one that people can take from i own two marketing agencies uh, you can imagine where we, you know, the amount of work we do on social media platforms. I relinquished um, getting on social media mm-hmm. um, for the majority of my day, unless I have to, or unless, I, you know, there's. I'm not perfect. It, there will be times where I just lay in the bed and say, give me 30 minutes. I just want to scroll through Twitter for a few minutes and turn my brain off. But for the most part, 99% of my time is off of social media platforms, even though this is what I do for a living. And the reason is, is I believe it changes my brain. It, it, it takes away my focus to give presence to my family, to my friends. Uh, When I'm eating, you know, a meal or whatever, the phone is not near me. Um, And I know this sounds crazy. I I actually wrote a Medium post on this a few months ago. I, I believe that social media and the divisions that it is causing is, to, is going to have a massive market correction mm-hmm. uh, at some point in the next five years. And I think people – people it's kind of like – let's look at the big box grocery chains or the Walmarts of the world or the, you know, the big grocery chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, they grew like crazy in the 80s and 90s. But in, in the last 10 years, we've seen this massive movement of small – farms giving you know that people are going to buying local buying organic things like that there's always a shift back to what we knew work to begin with rather than Mm -hmm. ease and convenience and for me it's social media platforms I I think that it had served a great purpose many years ago I believe it is uh, going into the pits of hell now and I need to get off of that because my brain (laughs) doesn't need to be wrapped around
1: Okay, well, that's a good segue into something else that you a lot of what we're talking about just made this tweak for me, uh, which I think it's worth asking. So when we look at the culture of humanity or the culture of leadership, do you think by and large, and again, a lot of this, you know, it's based on do you err on the side of positivity? Do you err on the side of negativity? Or are you somewhere in the middle? But do you think people are becoming more or less more awakened? Within themselves, because we know this is an inner journey, everything starts with self uh, before you can create and, and shift monumental change for other people, whether it be your clients, whether it be your friends, your family, your colleagues, whatever the case may be, or do you think that the majority of people are still asleep at the switch?
2: God, this is so weird. I literally had this a conversation an hour before this interview.
1: Get my, out.
2: My, my wife and I had this exact, literally, awake and asleep. This was the exact words that were used.
1: See, no coincidence. I say that it's, all the time.
2: It's freaking me out right now. But <laughs> I believe the majority of people are asleep right now. But I do believe there is a great awakening. And I think more and more people are becoming conscious um, and I slept through the first 40 years of my life. For sure, I slept through, I manipulated, I did terrible things, and I was modeling poor behavior. I didn't know any different. Uh, I had great people that entered into my life that, that showed me that I, – I almost had to like peel an onion layer of my own consciousness for years to understand who I was and where my behaviors come from, and how I needed to live my life. Now, again, I go back to the disease. I don't, I don't know if that would have happened had I not had the disease, but it has made me conscious. I, I, I now understand where all my behaviors come from, and I can do something about that. And, and I think we're in a world right now where everybody, we were all modeling previous generations that were trying to do their best but basically slipped through life. And then they they evolved a little bit more. And I think our generation and the next generation are gonna evolve in a massive way, a a, in a, a scale we haven't seen before. So I think we are coming into an awakening age. It may take another hundred years, but I do believe that's where we're going.
1: Okay. And so, you know, oftentimes people, whether we talk about this metaphorically in people's individual personal lives or we talk about this at the collective level in terms of mass humanity, you know, How much further down do you think we can possibly go before we go? We can't go any further. Now, no differently than when you have having received the diagnosis for the incurable disease. That was a light bulb moment for you. That was an epiphany, cathartic, aha moment. So if we're talking about the masses, the collective, how much more can we dip? And what is it going to truly take before we all hopefully majority wise consensus wise become awakened like what is it going to take
2: well in the near term it's it would be some reckoning and tragedy and something horrible that would happen that people would realize that they're sleepwalking through life and they don't want to live that way anymore if there is no you know moment of uh, that changes the world then it's going to take time, and it's going to evolve. I do think we're in involvement, but evolution takes hundred years, you know, mm-hmm. fifty years. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's a gradual shift. Unless, of course, you know, I always say it's like the Katrina moment. Um, New Orleans became a totally different city after the Hurricane Katrina, um, and maybe there's a Katrina moment in in this world that we're just unaware of. I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I echo your sentiments, but then I think to myself, you know, when we when we look back historically at different things that have transpired that you think would be the epiphany aha moment that would get people not just transitioning for the short term, but for the long haul and staying the course. So when I look at events like 9-11 or when I look at Katrina or when I look at, you know, <coughs> how, how many how many children have innocently been slaughtered in schools because of guns and things of that nature. I think, you know, how many more incidences does that require before people go enough is enough and wake up to this? You know, because the worst things bring out, in many cases, the best. And so when I reflect back on 9-11, you know, everybody seemed to be really Uh, you know, in this communal space of love and appreciation and gratitude and camaraderie and uh, helping thy neighbor and all those things. But then it's like now it gets replaced by another tragedy. And it's like, I don't know if we're just becoming so desensitized because these things happen daily and people are only plugged into the negative events of the world as opposed to making the concerted choice of focusing on the good things, being a contributor, knowing that there's always something within their realm of individual responsibility that they can roll up their sleeves and take um, active uh, momentous action in in reversing the course or undoing the damage so it's, it's like that's what I find dispiriting is I would think that our our humanity as we now know it has experienced enough catastrophic transformational things that we would all get on the same page and stay there
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, let let me just take maybe uh, an example from my background, which is I come from political marketing. And I really think in the world, the conversation we're just having, that we are in the most disruptive moment in human history.
0: Um, Mm -hmm.
2: I really do. And I'll walk through what that means. And the reason that I feel like I'm more attuned to this than most is because... In politics, uh, we always are about two steps ahead of the curve because when, when you have an election day every year or every two years or every four years, uh, you're forced to innovate at such a level that disruption happens very quickly. And mm-hmm. then you adapt and then you start innovating again until the next disruption. So whether you hate him or whether you love him, Donald Trump is the most disruptive force that has ever hit the in the history yes. of and polit- world politics. Um, you, know, you know,, you know, he is a massive disruptive force. That happened because of all the things that you just said. People were sick and tired, people were fed up. people felt left out. People felt like they weren't being represented. Um, and they decided, you know what? Maybe he's not the perfect, candidate maybe we don't like him maybe you don't agree with him but he's the molotov cocktail to the political system and we are just i'm telling you i'm not making this up this is what polling says this is what data tells us the voters even though they may not have liked him wanted to throw a bomb and blow up the system Mm -hmm. and a metaphorical bomb and they did and Mm -hmm. they made their point now What happens uh, in his reelection is do they want to throw the bomb again or do they say, all right, we may we're giving you a second chance now, um, you know, go fix it. So I just don't know. We'll find out in the future on that front. But that leads to this. So I've seen this massive disruptive force into my marketplace. And I always tell businesses and just because I saw this massive disruptive force, uh, disruptive force in my health, that your disruption For a business owner, it's coming. Trust Mm -hmm. me, it's coming. I could give you endless examples. um, And one, and I talk about this in my book, but uh, is autonomous cars. It's not that autonomous cars are coming. We all know that they're coming. It's the second and third order consequences of them. And I'm going to give you one autonomous cars is one example out of 10,000 that will happen in the next 10 to 15 years of disruption. But With autonomous cars, it doesn't – we know that they're coming, but what happens – to local governments that give speeding and parking tickets when the autonomous cars won't speed and they'll park themselves legally every time what happens to that revenue yeah. what happens to when there are 99 percent less accidents out of car accidents what happens to insurance companies that you must get insured your your car and your you know your uh, you must insure your car with those rates will completely uh, go away what happens to emergency care workers when we have 250,000 less um, automobile accidents in this country, let's say in the United States, because that's typically what we have per year. Mm -hmm. What, were those jobs gonna go away? What happened, one of the good disruptions is what happens to lawyers that sue for traffic accidents? Okay, they're they're, they're gonna be disrupted too, and maybe in a good way. But the crazy one is what happens to people that are on organ donor lists whose lives are on the line when we have 35,000 less car accidents every year? Do they die? What happens to people on those lists? There, this is one disruption with a 1,000 different second and third order consequences. Listen, I, when I give speeches, I talk about the construction industry. That's the same thing. They're going to be 3D printing houses. So what happens to construction workers in the future when when a machine will make a house? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, that house will withstand an, an 8.0 earthquake or a, a Category 5 hurricane. Um, and by the way, you don't have to have the crazy I, – I live in Florida. My God, my insurance is insane because of the <laughs> (laughs) But that will all go away. And that, again, one other industry. Right. And so my point is, is that I could literally do this for days and days and days and give example after example after example. We are in an incredibly disruptive moment. You can, as a business owner. You can continue to take the aspirin and put your head in the sand like I did with my own health. And -hmm. you can say, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to innovate. I don't want to change. I don't want to adapt. Or you can take the vitamin right now. And start adapting and changing and being ready when the, when the disruptive moment happens, you're on the top of your market. And so I'm always when, – when I speak uh, for Gary Vaynerchuk Speaking Bureau or Kepler Speaking Bureau, I'm always speaking to business owners and telling them these are the ways you do it within your own marketing. I can tell you how to disrupt your marketing to win in any environment. And but if you just play the same marketing game you've played your entire life, you're going to lose. There's a hundred percent chance you'll be out of business in ten years.
1: Absolutely. Well, what a brilliant mind you have. I love everything you said and turning it on its head like that because I don't think a lot of people have really evaluated it from that perspective. And so when you talk about the vitamin, you know, I, what what you say there, what comes to mind is the Matrix. Do you take the blue pill or the red pill? Right.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: Totally. It's a
1: great one. Yes. Yes. And so because this show is all about living fearlessly, but no differently than other uh, words in the English language, whether it be success, whether it be legacy, you know, we all define these individually unique, uh, you know, there might be shades of color that ring true in everybody's explanation or uh, definition or, or interpretation. But what does, I mean, clearly you're embodying living fearlessly. Um, But what does it mean to you if you had to succinctly break it down, Philip?
2: Uh, You know, I wish I could say I am fearless. Um, And I would tell you that even about 12 months ago, my wife looked at me and said, you're still, uh, when it comes to, let's say, money, our own financial money, you know, I'm always driven, oh my God, we're going to lose everything. So I got to work harder. I got to do all these things, right? Mm And when I So my point is I do – my aim, my intention is to live fearlessly. but we're all driven by fear, all of Mm -hmm. us, right? And so I must identify where those gaps are, and I must go work on that. And so my wife's right. What's my – let me just take that one example. God, my wife points out all my flaws. (laughs) And and she's she's right. Otherwise, it would kill me, but she's right. And it's like – I was, every time we would spend money on anything, I would be like, oh my God, we we, we can't spend the money. What, we, what are we going to do? We could lose everything. <laughs> and what's your mindset when you have that kind of attitude? What's your mindset? Are you growing or are you living in fear? <clears throat> I, living in fear is not going to get me to where I want to go, where I don't have to worry about money anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And so if we decide to spend money on something frivolous, I need to be okay with it because Mm -hmm. ultimately it's not like I'm just blowing money at a casino, but like, if I, but if I'm like, okay, you know what, I'm not worried about that anymore because I'm going to go out and create and give and be generous. And so for me, that is the key to how I have to overcome that fear, that particular fear for me. It is, Mm -hmm. and it is very real. And once I've identified it, then I can do something about it. And so mm-hmm. I think the key, really, for me to, to try to strive to be fearless is I need to identify what's holding me back. And once I do, I go, oh, that's the reason being is because I'm living in fear on that particular idea, like finances uh, just a year ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what you've kind of said underscores the whole concept on both ends of the spectrum. It's either you're living within a sphere of contraction or expansion, and so that's where you've got to recalibrate the mindset. And the thing is, for people like you who are very committed to being conscious and consciously awake, you—it's—it—you it, it, you know, we're human. I mean, we can't get away from being human, uh, no matter how evolved we are, or how self-actualized we are, or how committed we are to our own personal growth, personal development. But the difference is for people like you and myself, Philip, is we catch ourselves. So the minute we know that we're either thinking self deprecating thoughts or counterintuitive thoughts that aren't aligning with what we say we ideally want to um, amass for ourselves in the trajectory of our goals, our intentions, or our lifelong journey, you know, we can recalibrate very quickly because we're in tune enough with ourselves to know that what we're doing is 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 destructive it's really a a form of sabotage actually but the difference it totally is right it's so true it is but the difference (laughs) is some people who haven't done the work who aren't committed to doing the work who aren't awakened they don't even realize that that's something that they can change by recognizing it's just a thought You don't have to sit in the abyss of that thought that's taking you down the rabbit hole. You can turn that on its head and you can do what we do for our clients, our best friends, uh, anybody else who's shitting on themselves being self deprecating or whatever the case may be and say, how dare you talk about yourself like that? Are you forgetting that you've done this? You're capable of this. People see you in this light. You know, uh, these are your skills. These are your strengths. These are your talents and recalibrate it for people externally. But where we fall short is doing it internally because as i say you've got to be your best friend you've got to be your hero own hero own shiro own leader own best friend because it's all self-activated what you do within self is what you activate out there externally so if you if you want to have impact if you want to have value if you want to uh amass results for yourself you've got to achieve that for yourself first and foremost
2: yeah thank you i i totally agree and i'll take even a step back on this um I think the key to life is not to reach the mountaintop. Um, and I know that we all talk about this, but it's how you can enjoy the the climb up the mountain. And I didn't realize I was always trying to reach the mountaintop. But really, if I'm just enjoying the hike up the mountain, mm-hmm. my life is so much better. And here's the problem with that. You eventually hit a plateau. And I hit them about every three months. And then I go, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> i had i i did i'm screwing up this, I gotta go work on it again it's not easy mm-hmm. but and and i will I will open up my playbook a minute here i I'm in a really good place, like the best place ever in my life, but mm-hmm. I also realize I think there's another level I can go to, and i'm not there, and i've done uh, Tony Robbins events. I've done psychologists. Um, and I'm in a journey right now where I'm doing psychedelics for therapy. Mm. They have been the most impactful of anything I've ever done. And I'm about to go do them again soon. But the reason being is because I, I know I can, There, there is a level that I will strive to continue to get to that Everything that comes out of me is an abundance of love and giving and growth, Mm -hmm. and I'm working towards it. I'm not there, but I'm striving for it every day, and that's this is the path I'm taking on it.
1: Fantastic. Okay, two things I'm going to say to that. So in terms of the psychedelics, the controlled psychedelics, are you familiar with James Fadiman? I'm not, no. Okay. So, uh, he's, he's in Tim Ferriss's book. I interviewed sure. him actually, and it was about psychedelics and controlled and studies and, and, and how it did things for architects. And anyway, it's brilliant. So thank you.
0: Okay. Do, I'll check. It yeah.
1: Out. Do your research on James Fadiman. He's brilliant or go back and listen to my podcast interview with him. Yeah, yeah. Ama- okay. Amazing. So, you know what you've kind of described there too, Philip. It's you know the path of least resistance. And and for me, when I talk about when people say, "What is your definition of success?" For me, if I'm just going to wrap it up with a nice little pretty bow, the person with the least bullshit wins. That's what success is for me. <laughs> Truly, you know.
2: I love it.
1: Yes, because we when we talk about creating our own realities, um, when we talk about envisioning road mapping, blueprinting uh you know deconstructing all of those things it's really to get in the flow of life or to be in true vibrational harmony with yourself which makes everything else show up in accordance because i believe the universe does reward you accordingly so if you're a negative person you can't really you can't be overly surprised that continuous (laughs) you know negative things show up because you're speaking it into existence you are Even if you're not saying it out loud, but these are the thoughts that are within your mind, and it's saturated every single day, don't be surprised that the same things continually happen over and over and over again. You're creating your own reality. So, yeah, I I mean… I'm a living
2: example of that from my past, so I totally
1: agree. Absolutely. So for the benefit of the listening audience, also being cognizant of time, Philip, I want to give you an opportunity to plug where people can connect with you, <laughs> sure. where people can find you, what's coming up on the roster, what are your offerings, products, services that people may not be aware of?
2: Yeah, you can go to my name. I'm sure this will be in your show notes, but it's philipstutz.com uh, is where you can find me. You can connect with me there and all my Uh, any, any way you want. Um, You know, listen, we, I come from political marketing, so I'm always, uh, I think the way we market political candidates, I'm not talking about whether they're on the right or on the left or Republican or Democrat or anything like that. I'm talking about how we market those candidates, how we think of voters before we think of the candidate Uh, It's a very disruptive way of looking at how you would do your own marketing and your business. And so we took that model. I wrote the book about it. But we've taken that model and we've created a corporate marketing arm of which we now are growing every company we're working with because we are applying the political marketing principles to their business. And what I really learned along the way was, again, it kind of goes back to what we talked earlier, the give and grow. I kept finding business owners that said, okay, um, how are, I don't know if we're doing the right thing, the wrong thing. My head has been in the sand. I want to take it out. Help me. We created a free marketing audit. Uh, it's, a, it's a free five-minute marketing audit. You go to philipstutz.com slash audit and you fill out your publicly available digital footprint and my team spends two or three business days poring over everything you're doing on your marketing we create a 25.9 page checklist of the things that as a business owner you're doing right and the things you can improve and then we will do a 30-minute free consultation um, to go over and answer any questions for you as a business owner now um, you do not have to hire us to get this. This is absolutely free. Uh, if you think, wow, that's amazing. I want to work with you. Cool. We can talk what that looks like, but that's not the purpose of the audit. Um, and so that is exclusively for your audience, Lisa. And, um, thank you very much. We'll take advantage of that.
1: Very gracious of you. Thank you so very much for that. Again, growing and giving perfect example. So thank you for that, Philip. Um, so, What would you want, I mean, because we touched upon a lot of yummy stuff here, I think all equally pivotal, profound, important, significant, et cetera, et cetera. But if there was one aspect of what we covered in this interview thus far, Philip, what would you really hope would be the key takeaway or breakthrough for the listening audience and eventually the podcast subscribers?
2: Sure. I mean, listen, I, I keep going back to it's not about you. Yeah, um, and and I look at this in the way we do marketing. So in in political marketing, we would the first thing we do when a candidate mm-hmm. hires us is he sa- he or she says, "Well, here are the ten things I want to run on, you know, for office on." And I go, "That's great." And then uh, we go out and we get the data in the state or district or you know country of where that political candidate's going to run, and we find out what the voters care about, and then we find two issues where there's total alignment between what the voters care about and what the politician cares about. It's not a... The politician may want to talk about three or four issues that no one no one in the election wants to hear from that politician. It's not about what they want to talk about. It is where they have alignment with the voters. And so when it comes to business owners... Too often, I'm just as guilty of this, we talk about how great our product, our service, our business is, and we do not think about what the customer feels in mm. the experience. Mm-hmm. And we are in a digital age where there everybody is glued to their phones and no one feels an authentic um, ad or authentic experience with a product, brand, service, anything anymore. And so the key is to find out what your customers care about And then design your marketing around how your business serves those customers. And I I can give you a million different examples, but for for the summary of what you asked, it again goes back to giving and growing. It is about finding out what other people care about and then delivering to them based on how they feel, based on their needs. If you have a great product, figure out a way that it makes the customer say, I can't live without it. And Mm -hmm. that's what we lack. We lack relationships now because of the digital platforms. And if you as a business owner can build relationships with your customer, you will be in business forever. And the reason I know this is because for the last 30 years, all I've ever done is build relationships with voters and politicians. It's the foundation of everything I do. Mm -hmm. And when I went, oh, my God, the world is being disrupted and the businesses out there are not doing this and there is a niche in the marketplace, and I'm going to go fill that void. And this is what we teach and what we
1: help businesses do. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I've always said, and I've been a staunch supporter of the, the whole ideology, that if you can build a business model around tapping into a certain demographic of people's pain, you'll always be in business.
2: Totally. And all right, I'll give you a great example. Can I give you one example? Please do. All right. So we work for a major apparel brand and they came to us. And I think they uh, when they came to us, they had, you know, they were just entering into the e space. And we said, let's run the data and find out what your customers really care about. It'll take too long to explain how we do it, but we can do it. I can tell you everything that your customers think and feel, what platforms they're on where they spend their money, where they spend their time. And we found out that their customers, the people that wanted to buy their product, over 75% of them wanted social proof before they made a purchase. Mm-hmm. So our marketing revolved around uh, five-star reviews and around real reviews that people had left for the product mm-hmm. uh, about how it's the most comfortable clothes they ever worn, how they can't live without it. Uh, you know, all so our entire marketing was aimed at social proof. Before they started running ads on their e they had run it you know, for about a year, it was very small, but they had a $55 average uh, in purchase price. After we ran our campaign, we had increased their average first purchase price to $92 that with a 45% lower cost per purchase. And the lifetime value of the customer was double what the first purchase was. Hmm. So... This is all because we tapped into what the consumer wanted, the customer wanted, and then we delivered on it. And because of that, uh, we were able to grow this company on the B2C side. And too often, people go out and spend money on what they think will work. And what I beg of people is don't think, find out for sure, find out with certainty, understand the data of your customers and deliver it to them.
1: Okay, well, let me ask you this because you have such a brilliant mind. So, and and I understand concepts can contrast one another so in the personal growth personal development industry some people might argue and i support this you know uh, people talk about you have to believe it to see it oftentimes though in the business world call it beta testing call it whatever doing research uh all of that stuff you know you've got to collect the data and the evidence to substantiate the claim or the clause of what it is you're asking people to then buy in to or see the correlation between why it would be advantageous or beneficial for them to do so. So because I see you as, as being of both Elks, you know, are you more intuition based that makes you successful in business or are you more hardcore evidence based?
2: I'm 100% evidence based. Okay. Um, I do not believe in when I'm marketing uh, a product or a service, that if I take my uh, my team at my company and we sit around a table and brainstorm ideas that aren't based in evidence, I will not work with any company unless they undergo a complete data audit of their customer base so that we can understand them. It's my model. My model is a little different. I played a different game because in politics, I would never run a candidate unless I understood how the voters thought first. So I, I just play a totally different game in the marketing space. You literally can, I've had companies come to me and say, I will hand you a six figure check, but I don't want to undergo your data analysis of our customer base. And I've said no. And that's not always easy. uh, But Mm -hmm. I'm not moving on this because if I want them to succeed more than they do, because ultimately everything I'm doing eliminates the risk of the business owner, then mm-hmm. they're not worth my time to work with ultimately. And it's just going to end in a bad situation. I can virtually guarantee success if it's evidence-based because mm-hmm. I can market to, and all I've ever done, Lisa, in 25 years of political campaigns is analyze data and create strategies around it. That's all I've ever done. So that's all I'm ever going to do.
1: Okay. But if we, if we extrapolate it down to the altruistic, humanistic level, uh, is there any part of you that more or less subscribes to the ideology of intuition or going with gut instinct or going with inner voice, even if the evidence has not shown up to support why you intuitively feel more connected to the idea? Yeah. Or, or do you know what I mean?
2: Totally. So uh, maybe I'm an outlier here. But I'll tell you that my <laughs> intuition is not good. My instincts have always been wrong because I led a, a disingenuous life for so long mm-hmm. that I don't trust my instincts and I don't trust my intuition. Uh, I trust my wife's intuition.
0: <laughs> typically right.
2: But typically she's giving me feedback evidence of something that I'm not doing or doing. Um, and so for me, I do not, it just, I, I mean, I, I'm going to, this is a criticism of myself, my intuition and my instincts. Uh, if I had just done the opposite my whole life, I'd be a lot more successful than I am. And so that's why I just don't trust them. And that's why I'm so evidence-based.
1: Okay. Well, let me play devil's advocate to that. Sure. Let me challenge you on something. I'd love that. So, so based on what you've just said, okay. Let okay. So based on what you've just said, <laughs> yes, historically, once upon a time, that may have been the older version of you, but then you fast forward to 2012. You've gone on record as saying that that was, you know, that incurable disease diagnosis was what really shifted you monumentally. So for your dna to change on one level Mm -hmm. to take massive action for your health what is the correlation then simultaneously for still holding true to no you know it's like people who say we've always done it that way we can't change it which is what I kind of heard remnants of when you said you know no I don't really default to intuition because historically prehistorically, I've always been this way and it's failed me each and every time because you know I did things for the wrong reasons or I was disingenuous or whatever the case may be so if you've made this true shift and you're working with people and trying to get them on board with that anything is possible providing in your realm of making that um, believable with backed up evidence to say Substantiate and support that. Is it not important for you to also encourage the people that are signing up for you to know that they can change fundamentally how they once upon a time used to think that was non self serving? Yeah, but see,
0: everything
2: that you're saying, like the reason that uh, I don't, you know, subscribe to the, hey, this is how we've always done it. Obviously, I'm the complete opposite of that. But the reason I say it is because the evidence of it says the way, when I lived that way, <laughs> It didn't work for me. So I'm always feeding off the data of what I'm learning to make decisions. And my intuition comes from past mistakes. So okay. uh, that's what I'm saying. Like it, my, I'm looking at, you know, I may feel something and I may go with it but that's because in the past I did it differently or didn't work in a certain way. And Mm so I'm just, I'm a nerd on numbers. I'm a numbers (laughs) nerd. So I don't, I'm not saying you're wrong. In fact, I think it works for so many other people, but I think if I don't have a lesson learned in the space, it's hard for me to say, well, it's not that I wouldn't do it. I would just have to really think through it and map it out. And it's, it's more of my analytical brain, I guess. But that's just how I would look at it. Um, it, Any feeling I have is based on prior decisions and prior uh, mistakes or correct decisions. And Mm -hmm. then I'm going to take the next step in the direction that gives me the best advantage to help other people. I don't, I don't know if that answers your question. That's just, yeah, it does. How I looked at. Yeah, by the way, it does. I've never been asked this kind of question. So you've stumped me a little bit in a good <laughs> way and I'm very grateful for that. So thank you. Um, you're welcome. My pleasure. That's where it's coming from.
1: My pleasure. Well, you're, you're a great guest to have because, uh, You know, when I talk about vibe-attracting tribe, people oftentimes misinterpret that to believe that, you know, only if you subscribe to my ideology or my philosophy do you then fall into the category of vibe-attracting tribe. No, I'm talking about people regardless of what they believe, but they're still committed fundamentally uh, to rapid growth, rapid momentum, succession. You know, that's what I'm talking about. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to get going here, but you're welcome to come back anytime. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to give you one last opportunity before we close out here where can people connect with you Philip
2: yeah you can go to philipstutz.com uh, I write about wild crazy uh, idiotic marketing every two <laughs> weeks so you can subscribe there and I don't ever pitch. Uh, this, this is not a funnel. I actually just love to write. And this is a chance if you want to learn more about how I think about marketing and political marketing and how it can apply to your business, just go subscribe there. And the, there's the free marketing audit if you're a business owner and you want to gauge how you're doing. And that's philipstuds.com audit.
1: Fantastic. Well, Philip, I want to thank you very much for the gift of your time. I want to thank you for all your shared uh, insights, wisdom, vulnerability, transparency. Uh, this, this was awesome truly awesome thank you. And uh, yes thank you and so to the listening audience I want to thank you once again for taking time out of your own hectic schedules for tuning into myself and my guest Philip of this Friday and my purpose I'm very clear on my purpose is to uplift you to fear less and to live more so until next Friday when we are joined by yet another phenomenal guest I want to wish you all my best have a safe weekend love and gratitude take care everybody bye bye